chapter six part three of the quintessence of ibsenism by george bernard shaw this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter six down among the dead men the last four plays part three john gabriel borkman eighteen ninety six in little eyolf the shadow of death lifted for a moment but now we enter it again here the persons of the drama are not only dead but buried borkman is a napoleon of finance he has the root of finance in him and a born love of money in its final reality a love that is of precious metals he does not dream of beautiful ladies calling to him for nightly rescue from dragons and tyrants but of metals imprisoned in undiscovered mines calling to him to release them and send them out into all lands fertilizing encouraging creating music to him means the ring of the miner's pick and hammer the eternal night underground is as magical to him as the moonlit starlit night of the upper air to the romantic poet this love of metal is common enough no man feels towards a check for twenty pounds as he does towards twenty gold sovereigns he will part from the paper with less of a pang than from the coins there are misers whose fingers tremble when they touch gold but close steadily on banknotes true love of money is in fact a passion based on physical appetite for precious metals it is not greed you cannot call a man who starves himself sooner than part with one sovereign from his sack of sovereigns greedy if he did the same for the love of god you would call him a saint if for the love of a woman a perfect gentle knight men grow rich according to the strength of their obsession by this passion its great libertines become napoleons of finance its narrow debauches become misers petty money-lenders and the like it must not be looked for in all our millionaires because most of these are rich by pure accident our abandonment of industry to be haphazard scrambles of private adventurers necessarily produces occasional windfalls which enrich the man who happens to be on the spot as may be seen when the lucky ones are invited to display their supposed napoleonic powers in spending their windfalls when they reveal themselves as quite ordinary mortals if not indeed sometimes as exceptionally resourceless ones besides finance is one business and industrial organization another the man with a passion for altering the map by digging isthmus never thinks of money save as a means to his end but those who as financiers have passionately made money instead of merely holding their hats under an accidental shower of it will be found to have a genuine disinterested love of it it is not easy to say how common this passion is poverty is general which would seem to indicate a general lack of it but poverty is mainly the result of organized robbery and oppression politely called capitalism starving the passion for gold as it starves all the passions the evidence is further confused by the decorative instinct some men will load their fingers and shirt fronts with rings and studs while others of equal means are ringless and fasten their shirts with sixpenneth of mother-of-pearl but it is significant that plato in following him sir thomas more saw with ibsen and made complete indifference to the precious metals minted or not 
a necessary qualification for aristocracy this indifference is as a matter of fact so characteristic of our greatest non-industrial men that when they do not happen to inherit property they are generally poor and in difficulties therefore we who have never cared for money enough to do more than keep our heads above water and are therefore tempted to regard ourselves as others regard us that is as failures or at best as persons of no account may console ourselves with the reflection that money hunger is no more respectable than gluttony and that unless its absence or feebleness is only a symptom of a general want of power to care for anything at all it usually means that the soul has risen above it to higher concerns all this is necessary to the appreciation of ibsen's presentment of the napoleon of finance ibsen does not take him superficially he goes to the poetic basis of the type the love of gold actual metallic gold and the idealization of gold through that love borkman meets the misses reintheim two sisters the elder richer than the younger he falls in love with the younger and she falls in love with him but the love of gold is the master passion he marries the elder yet he respects his secondary passion in the younger when he speculates with other people's securities he spares hers on the point of bringing off a great stroke of finance the other securities are missed and he is imprisoned for embezzlement that is the end of him he comes out of prison a ruined man and a dead man and would not have even a tomb to sleep in but for the charity of ella reintheim whose securities he spared when he broke her heart she maintains his old home for him he now enters on the grimmest lying in state ever exposed to public view by mortal dramatists his wife a proud woman must live in the same house with a convicted thief who has disgraced her because she has nowhere else to lay her head but she will not see him nor speak to him she sits downstairs in the drawing-room eating the bitter bread of her sister's charity and listening with loathing to her husband's steps as he paces to and fro in the long gallery upstairs like a sick wolf she listens not for days but for years and her one hope is that her son erhart will rehabilitate the family name repay the embezzled money and lead her from her tomb up again into honour and prosperity to this task she has devoted his life borkman has quite another plan he is still napoleon and will return from his elba to scatter his enemies and complete the stroke the ill-luck and the meddlesomeness of the law frustrated but he is proud prouder than napoleon he will not come back to the financial world until it finds out that it cannot do without him and comes to ask him to resume his place at the head of the board he keeps himself in readiness for that deputation he is always dressed for it and when he hears steps on the threshold he stands up by the table puts one hand into the breast of his coat and assumes the attitude of a conqueror receiving suppliants and this also goes on not for days but for years long after the world has forgotten him and there is nobody likely to come for him except pair against button moulder borkman like all madmen cannot nourish his delusion without some response from without one of the victims of his downfall is a clerk who once wrote a tragedy and has lived ever since in his own imagination as a poet 
his family ridicules his tragedy and his pretensions and as he is a poor ineffectual little creature who has never lived long enough to feel dignified among the dead like borkman he too finds it hard to keep his illusion alive without help fortunately he has admired borkman the great financier and borkman when he has ruined him and ruined himself is quite willing to be admired by this humble victim and even to reward him by a pretence of believing in his poetic genius thus the two form one of those mutual admiration societies on which the world so largely subsists and make the years in the long gallery tolerable by flattering each other there are even moments when borkman is nerved to the point of starting for his second advent as a great financial redeemer on such occasions the woman downstairs hears the footsteps of the sick wolf on the stairs approaching the hat-stand where his hat and stick have waited unused all the years of his entombment but they never reach that first stage of the journey they always turn back into the gallery again this melancholy household of the dead crumbles to dust at the knock of the younger generation at the door erhart dedicated by his mother to the task of paying his father's debts and retrieving his ruin and by his aunt to the task of sweetening her last days with his grateful love has dedicated himself to his own affairs for the moment mostly love affairs and has not the faintest intention of concerning himself with the bygone career of the crazy ex-felon upstairs or the sentimentalities of the old maid downstairs he detests the house and the atmosphere and associates his aunt's broken heart with nothing more important than the scent of stale lavender which he dislikes he spends his time happily in the house of a pretty lady in the neighbourhood who has been married and divorced and knows how to form an adolescent youth and as to the unpardonable enemy of the family one hinkle who betrayed borkman to the police and rose on his ruins erhart cares so little for that old story that he goes to hinkle's parties and enjoys himself there very much and when at last the pretty lady raises his standard of happiness to a point at which the old house and the old people become impossible unthinkable unbearable he goes off with her to italy and leaves the dead to bury their dead the details of this catastrophe make the play the fresh air and the light of day break into the tomb and its inhabitants crumble into dust fuldal the poet clerk lets slip the fact that he has not the slightest belief in borkman's triumphant return to the world and borkman retorts by telling him he is no poet after this comedy comes the tragedy of the son's defection and amid the recriminations of the broken heart the baffled pride and the shattered dreams the castles in the air vanish and reveal the open grave they have hidden poor foldal limping home after being run over by a sledge in which his daughter is running away to act as second string and chaperone for erhart and the pretty lady is the only one who is wanted in the world since he must still work for his derisive family but borkman returns to his dream and ventures out of doors at last not this time to resume his place as governor of the bank but to release the imprisoned metal that rings and sings to him from the earth in other words to die in the open mad but happy whilst the two sisters we two shadows end their strife over his body End of chapter 6, part 3, 
Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.